Hello there, my name's Sean and welcome to episode 3 of The Game Pit. We're going to change it up a little bit today, and this is going to be a vault episode. Now the vault is where we keep our most treasured games. Rona's going to explain a little bit how the vault works. We're going to be looking to populate the vault starting today and going over the next few months. In each of these The Vault episodes, myself and Sean are going to take two games each that we think are really special that deserve to be put into the hallowed vault. We're going to make our argument as to why this game should be included, and then the other person is going to play Devil's Advocate and just put some counterpoints or common negative points that are raised. After we've been through the four games, we're going to have a discussion between us, and somehow, without bloodshed, we're going to have to decide which of the four nominations is worthy of being placed in the vault. The two games I'm going to put up as candidates today are Agricola and Spartacus, a game of blood and treachery. Sean, what are you going to be putting And my two games are going to be Arkham Horror and Dominion. Okay, let's get on with The Vault. Now, I'd like to start gushing about one of my favourite games in all the world. That's Arkham Horror. This is the game that got me into gaming. It's the game that did it for me. It's the game that turned me towards the gaming industry as a whole. I wouldn't have discovered anything else but for the fact that I picked this game up and I absolutely adored it. Now, what I'm talking about is the 2005 game, which is the successor to the 1987 game. Uh, designed by Richard Launius and Kevin Wilson. Now, Richard Launius um, had a, played a part in the original one. So, what is Arkham Horror? It's a co-op adventure game. It's themed around the whole Cthulhu mythos from the mind of H.P. Lovecraft. Players will get to choose from 16 investigators. They are placed in the streets of the fictional town of Arkham. Uh, before the game, one of the great ancient ones from the Cthulhu mythos will rise um, into, in the minds of people. Now, this, this great ancient one is going to be trying to break into the reality of 1920s Arkham. So once you've chosen your ancient one, your job is to stop them entering the world. During the game, players will move around the streets to various locations, having encounters, fighting monsters, uh, meeting allies, equipping themselves and most importantly, trying to close the portals opening around the town. And these portals will be letting in all the monsters, so obviously it's in your interest to close them. Fail to do this, and you'll have one chance to stop the end of the world as we know it. Defeat the Ancient One in combat, which is not an easy task. I'm going to talk a little bit now about why I love this game so much, and why I believe that it should be the first entrant into the Game Pit Vault. This is a beautiful game, lovingly crafted. The board is vibrant, bright, easy to manipulate in terms of moving your characters around it. The tokens are beautiful. They're all very loyal to the whole Cthulhu mythos. The theme of this game, I've talked about it being from the mind of H.P. Lovecraft. A lot of people find this game because they're already into the Lovecraft works. I went the other way. I found this game, loved the feel, the ambience when you're playing it. 
and I found H.P. Lovecraft through it and became a big fan. You feel like you're in this fictional town of Arkham. You feel like you're under pressure from unseen foes and seeing foes when they do manifest themselves. Or it's, it's tangible. You can almost cut the pressure sometimes with a knife. This game is excellent on your own. It's better with friends, but you can play it as a solo player. And it's, it's still fantastic to play as a solo player. You still get the tension. You don't get the interaction. But if you've got a few friends, bring them along. Everyone's going to love it. It's great for the banter across the table. How are we going to do this? Oh, we're up against it. What do we do next? This game is not one of those games where somebody is going to tell you what to do. It's not one of those games where somebody is going to say, you have to do this and that's the way you're going to win the game. There is no set way of winning this game and you have to work together. You have to cooperate with each other. You have to talk it to each other. And nobody's going to tell you what card to choose, what, what's going to happen, because it's dice rolling involved. There's all sorts of things you can do to help the cause. That's another reason that makes this game fantastic. The gameplay is so immersive. Now, I know Rona's going to come at me later about the Fantasy Flight rulebook, but once you get past the rulebook, the gameplay is quite simple and intuitive. It's there for you. Uh, it's an easy game to move around and to do what you need to do. It says it on the cards most of the time. It's not one of those games where you're constantly flitting back to the rule book. Once you know how to play it, it sticks and it won't go away. The gameplay makes sense to the game. Sometimes the monsters don't make sense. They're not meant to. They're supposed to be weird. They're supposed to do weird things. But the gameplay makes sense. Another reason is the consistency of this game. I've had great games. I've had frustrating games. I've had stressful games. But never, ever have I had a boring game of this. There's always been entertainment. You always look up three, four hours later and go, my God, where's the time gone? Another reason is rewarding. What a rewarding game when you finally take down the Ancient One. This might take you a few goes because it is not easy. It's not a forgiving game. You make a mistake in this game, you are playing catch-up, but you're not out of it. You're never out of it. You've always got the chance to take on the Ancient One at the end. The Ancient One isn't supposed to be easy. The Ancient One is probably going to kill you. But if you close all the portals that you need to close, or if you manage just to squeak a victory against the Ancient One, you are going to be standing up high-fiving everyone. It's one of those games just where you just breathe a sigh of relief and you think, yes, we did it. I'm not sure how we did it. Let's chat about that, because I don't know how we managed that. Let's spend an hour talking about it, because that was just great. It's one of those games that you talk about down the pub. Oh, man, you remember when we squeaked that victory? And people were going, yeah, brilliant. Another reason, and it's not just my reason, this game is never out of the Board Game Geek hotness list. It's always there. This is a 2005 game, and it's still always in the hotness list because people are always talking about it. It affects people. That's why I love this game. Ronan, I know you've got some questions. You tried to preempt me, but I don't think you get away that easily. That rule book, it's awful. Discuss. It's not the best rule book. It is a little bit all over the place. It does take a little while to decipher and to get yourself playing. It's worth it. It's worth the bad rule book. There's plenty of player aids out there. There's so many player aids out there. Use them. 
The rulebook should never detract you from playing a wonderful game like this. The setup time for this game is too long. I disagree with you there, Roman. I think the setup time is okay for a game of this length. It's a three, four hour game and it really doesn't take more than a few minutes to set up because everything is grouped together. All the monsters are thrown into the one pot. All the sanity points are thrown into the one pile. There's a couple of elements that you have to separate out, but it's like any game with this much components, and it has a lot of components because it's an adventure. It's an undertaking. You said it lasts three to four hours, but isn't it true that it can last eight hours? Certainly not any game that I've had running. I think if it's lasting eight hours, you're not doing something right, because this game will punish you for the longer you take, and you will be overrun by monsters, and you will be killed. The more players that you have does affect the length of the game, but you should never be hitting eight hours on this game. There's nothing to do during your downtime. Of course there is. It's a co-op. You're watching everybody else. What they do affects you. If somebody's decided to go through a portal in order to close that portal, then what they're doing and what they're fighting affects you. You're on tenderhook because you know you need them to close that portal. If they fail and they end up lost in time and space or down in a trip into the hospital or to the insanity wing of the hospital, then that's upsetting. It kills your game. You're, you're winning them on. Every dice roll, you're watching them praying that they get those, those fives and sixes that are going to see them home to victory. So I don't believe anybody who says that the downtime in this game is a problem. It's an exciting game for everybody, whether it's your turn or not. The gameplay is far too random. You cannot guarantee me a good game of this because every game has got far too many things that can be different in it. I think I said in my whole spiel about how much I love this game that, yeah, I've had games that weren't good. I've had good games. I've had stressful. I've had frustrating. The point I'm trying to make is you might not get a good game where everything works out for you or that where you beat the monster. There can be frustrating games. And I think that's the beauty of this game. Sometimes you are frustrated. Sometimes you're so stressed out. And I know it's not always fun to be stressed out. But when you dive into this world, it's so immersive. You just feel like you're there and time flies past. It's far too easy for an alpha player to emerge during this game and take over and guide the actions of every player around the table. I think this is one of the games where this is minimised. I think if somebody's going to behave like that and is set on behaving like that, they're going to do it. They're going to start bossing people around. I think this game caters to a certain degree for that. And I think this is one of the games where you don't really get that happening very often because you do your own encounters. Once you enter a place on the board, you're going to flip that card over and have that encounter yourself. That is your encounter. You're rolling the dice. You're getting the results. You're deciding whether to fight or sneak past or run away from the monster that comes through there. You can take advice. Yeah, cool. But you have to stand up to these people and say, listen, we're working together. And I think this game allows you to do that. You have to go. Everyone has to go their own way. You can't, if you walk around in one big club, you're not going to go and get the equipment that you need. Nobody's going to close all the portals. You have to go in the portals on your own. There's no point in everyone diving through one portal because three will open up on the other side of the board before you can get to it. So for that reason, I think it minimises it. And I don't think any game will ever completely eradicate it. Optimal play involves each player concentrating only on what they're good at 
and therefore it becomes tedious because each player is repeating from a limited set of actions. Each player does have a certain skill set, but you can adjust your skill set. You can adjust what, how you quickly you move around the board. You can adjust what your luck is. You can adjust how you fight the monsters. You can make yourself better. There's cards there that make you better at everything. There's allies in this game. Allies will walk with you and help you. They will give you a constant bonus. If you're weak on one side, then you get the right ally or the right equipment. You're going to be stronger in that aspect of it. You have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Yes, there are people who you're going to want to go through and close the portals. There are people who are you are going to want to go and take down the monsters because they start off better at fighting. It is not a given that these guys are going to take down that monster. You have to be able to do it yourself. Everybody's trying to build up their resources and close down the portals as they appear. It's a juggling act. Do you go and close down the portal and take a risk, or do you go and get a resource from Mars Boarding House? You're constantly wondering when to make that attack on the monster. You're constantly wondering when to go and get that piece of equipment, when to top up your health, when to top up your insanity. I think this game is completely the opposite of that, to be honest. It's not a game as much as an experience. And I can get that by playing a role-playing game, or a computer game, or even watching a movie. I don't interact with the story, the story just happens to me. I think this story is very immersive. I've already said that countless times. It is an experience. It is almost like a role-playing game. I, I agree with that, but I think that makes it better. I think that takes it to the plane above mere board games. It's a little bit of a role-playing game. It's a lot of a board game. It touches your heart, it touches your mind, and it makes you think about what you're doing as if you were walking around Arkham. So wonderfully laid out and so wonderfully thought out and has been improved since the 1987 version to give it the artwork to match the imagination of the game. Arkham Horror, at its basis, doesn't offer me anything that Elder Sign doesn't do in a quarter of the time. Elder Sign is Arkham Horror light. I think it's been described like that. I would describe it as that. Elder Sign is a game that you can quickly bosh out half an hour, an hour, great. It doesn't give you the same amount of immersion and feeling and thought process. It doesn't give you the same reward as Arkham Horror. I don't think you get the same experience. If you haven't got the time to dedicate to a full game of Arkham, play Elder Sight. If you have, then Arkham Horror has always got to be the choice. Okay. The last counterpoint I wanted you to answer on this one is Arkham Horror... It's just a cash cow for FFG, especially those ridiculous painted minis. They're just pumping out expansion after expansion. They don't add anything. They just add extra playing time. I disagree with you there again, Ronan. I do think that the expansions lend a lot to the game. They change up the way it's played. They give you more area to explore. They change the dynamics and the mechanics of the game. I also think that it's kind of a labour of love now with Fantasy Flight. I get they're going to make money out of it. It's, it is, it's making them money. It's a great game. People love it. The people who play this game will always buy the little extras. But I think they improved the game. That's one of the problems I first had with the game, was that it didn't have miniatures. Now they're available. Fantastic. 
give me all I can to make this experience even better. Why is that a bad thing? Okay, Sean, uh, thanks for making the argument for Arkham Horror. Is there anything you'd like to say to finish us off here? All I have to say is I love this game. Put it in the vault. Later on in this episode, we'll be coming back to Arkham Horror and we'll both be discussing our opinions on the game. Now, I'm going to talk about a game that's going to bring us back to ancient Rome. Spartacus, a game of blood and treachery. Probably the newest game that's going to be up the vault for a while. It only came out last year in 2012, but it's made a massive impact, certainly around here already. Who doesn't love Rome? The civilization that's had the biggest impact on Western culture. And as we go back to Rome in the game of Spartacus, we become members of the corrupt ruling class, trying to claw each other and scramble over each other's backstabbed bodies to get to the top. We are trying to win the will of the people. We're trying to become the leaders of the mob and become the most popular dominus in the game by leading your house through the intrigue of the ruling classes, by manipulating the market and slaves and warriors and weapons, and finally, by grabbing the hearts of the crowd in the arena and leading your gladiators to combat and victory. This game gives us a chance to fill the shoes of the people in power, whether they be the people manipulating gladiators and slaves 2,000 years ago, or the people who are manipulating share prices and what you watch through TV right now. They're all corrupt, and it's a great feeling to get a chance to be like that, to act like that, to be ruthless, to make shift in alliances, to just be looking after number one. That's what Spartacus is all about. It also gives you the chance to experience the excitement of the gladiatorial combats. This gives everyone a chance to feel the thrill of the battle, to be going one-on-one, to feel your last blood ebbing away and hoping to get that last strike in to take out your rival, earn the money that's going to bring your house back from the edge of bankruptcy and set you up for domination. Everything in this game is streamlined to allow the interaction between the players to be what's most important. There's finance in the game, and it is very important, but it's very, very basic. What you decide to pay for things decides how your finance goes. What you decide to gamble, how you decide to bet on the fights in the arena, that's going to decide whether you're rich or poor next time round. You make the decisions, not the mechanisms. Everything is as simple as can be, so that what really gets down is when you look the other player in the eye, you tell them that lie, or you tell them the truth. You make them promises which you keep or you break. That's what this game is about. Get the mechanisms out of the way, get the players into the forefront. The combat is decisive in this game, especially if you play one of the longer versions. But it's simple. You're rolling dice, they make sense. Three different colours, three different attributes. A wound is one of those dice is out of there. It takes two minutes to explain. And yet there's depth to it. Each gladiator has got their own strengths, their own weaknesses, their own abilities. They match off against each other in different ways. The way you train them, the ones you can use a javelin or a spear or a net or have a shield, they all make a difference in this game, but they're all intuitive. The intrigue phase, that's the part that I love the most. That's where all the different leaders of the houses are going to be playing these intrigue cards on each other. Or are they? Are they going to use those cards to bribe each other? 
are they all going to collude together to take out number four, to take them out of the game for a little while? Are you going to say to someone, hmm, you appear to have left the gate to your gladiator house open. I'll tell you what, pay me two gold and I won't let your gladiators walk away. Are you holding the card that's going to steal one of their gladiators? They don't know. If they pay you the two gold, are you going to stick to that promise? They don't know. It's all about do they trust you when they trust you. Not are they going to backstab you, but when are they going to backstab you. You will be cursing their sudden but inevitable betrayals. The game also has a short, medium and long version. So what kind of a game are you looking for? Are you looking for a 75 minute, quick, get a couple of gladiators, throw a few dice, have some fun, be nasty to each other? Great, play the short version. Are you looking for a deeper, two and a half hour game in which you can be able to build up your house and which the interactions have more long lasting effects? Cool, play the medium length game. Are you looking for a knockdown, stand up, get your teeth into it, build up from nothing into a real power, five hour marathon of a game? Good, come and play the long version. Spartacus has got it all. It's everything for every man. The theme, the mechanisms. Who doesn't want to be involved in a game about sex, money, power and blood? That appeals to all the basest instincts in all of us. I'm a base creature, I admit it. When I see men out there fighting and money changing hands and manipulation and all those horrible things that you can't really get away with in real life happen on that game board, it fires me up. I love this game. It makes my blood boil and surge and it makes me stand up and it makes me hate someone and then love them. It brings out the emotions. Spartacus, a fantastic game and a game that deserves to be in the vault. Sean, have you got any points to make on Spartacus or are we just going to accept it walks into the vault? Oh, I've got some points, Mr. Rice. Photos on the cards and the TV tie-in. Not for everyone. I've never seen the TV series. Let's start with that. It means absolutely nothing. Everyone knows about Rome. Forget that the theme is a specific series. Isn't it on stars or something in the US? I don't think anyone in the US has seen it. Who cares? The theme is Rome. We all know Rome. We all know the stories. Whenever a Roman theme comes up, it stirs something in so many of us. That's what's important. The photos, I can't defend. But they are unobtrusive, and you're not staring at the cards all game. It's not like the cards have got reams of text on them or tons of stats. That's not the way this rolls at all. The cards, like everything else, are just a means to an end. What you're going to be doing is looking in the other player's eyes and trying to judge, are they telling me the truth? Yeah, I can't praise the artwork. I can praise the simple graphical design and the functionality of them. The gladiator battles. They're boring, pedestrian and can be predetermined. That is nonsense. If they're boring and pedestrian, you're playing it wrong. In fact, I am going to admit to a weakness in the game. There's a possibility in some fights that someone can just keep running round and round and round the arena and it'll take forever for the other person to catch them. Do you know what? If someone ever starts playing like that with me, I'll flip the table and I'll walk off because they're playing the wrong game. This is about getting in. If you're going to die, die. Some fights can be predicted, but like a lot of games, it's what goes before that that matters. If you have not saved up your money for a good gladiator, if you haven't trained them well, if you're not in a strong position for fighting, then you should have some money left over, right? Win that bid to be the host of the games. And if you win the bid to be the host of the games, you decide who fights. So you can't get picked on. 
It's more of a problem in the shorter games, I will admit to that, because not so many gladiators come out. I think it was a problem with the game that was printed as well. However, I managed to get some Titan cars just by picking the game up, and they're all over the place now. They're not hard to get. That puts some better gladiators in the deck, just two or three, just to make sure there's enough there that everyone has a good chance of getting a good gladiator. And don't forget, if you're not involved in the fights, you can put bets on the fights. So if it is predictable, well, that's cool, because three you are going to come out on tops. The other person in the fight can't bet against themselves, but everyone else who's watching can. And even if it's your gladiator in the fight, you can make a bet to say someone's going to get wounded, or if it's that bad, they're going to get decapitated, be a complete washout. So you can make some money even though your gladiator dies. Everything can be mitigated. You're not stuck. If you get in such a bad position, especially in one of those longer games, whereby you cannot stand up in a fight, sorry, you're playing badly. It's not the job of the game to make you play well. A bit of bad luck in the card draw can rule you out of the whole game. If you are not going well in this game, there are so many negative cards in there. There are so many cards that are gotcha cards. People are not going to play them on you. You're going to have a chance to build up. I think, from what I'm hearing, this is another complaint from people who have only played the short game. Well, great. You're judging the game after having played just the demo. Because that's all it is. It teaches the mechanisms. It is fun, don't get me wrong. 75 minutes, great. Bosh, bosh, bosh. It's fun, don't get me wrong. It's 75 minutes of fun. It's not the real game. Over the course of a medium or longer game, you're not going to get screwed by card draws. We go through the whole deck at least once. Also, there's enough time there that everyone else, if they start edging ahead, they're going to start nibbling at each other. They're going to start nagging. They're going to start pulling backwards. They're going to start colluding to bring down the guy who's got the best gladiator with the best training, who's made him a champion, he's making him loads of money. While they're doing that, do you know what? Sit tight. Be a little bit sneaky. Play like one of those Roman leaders. It's not all about being out front and winning and putting a target on your back. I think all the best politicians know that. Sometimes sit tight, build up, wait for your time to come. The Dominus Glabus is overpowered. I've heard this before. Now, each Dominus has a special power in which they can score points in the game. The game might only run for five points or longer, again, if you're playing a longer version. So that ability to score points in certain games, that can be how you finally seal the deal. What's going on with Glabus is everyone else needs gladiators or slaves or a mixture of gladiator slaves and guards to score that point. And gladiators and slaves come up in the market, so everyone gets a chance to bid on them. Glabus, however, he uses guards to score points. Now, guards are a slightly different type of card. They come up in the intrigue deck. So if Glabus is able to draw lots of guards, no one can stop him. He hasn't got to save money and buy lots. So he's slightly harder to stop in terms of scoring points that way. Yes. But also, he's not going to be getting the gladiators that the other people are forced to get. So he's not going to be as strong in the gladiator phase. He's going to have a smaller school of gladiators. So you can use those entry cards to pick off his best gladiators more easily. He hasn't got the meat shields in place. And if you don't go after the slaves, then you're not going to have any income. Is Glabus better than the other Dominuses? To be honest, I haven't noticed him winning lots of games or anything like that. Another point here whereby there's so much interaction, the game balances out. If there's a slight advantage, it'll be balanced out when everyone starts jumping on top of him. I wouldn't worry about that too much. In the short and medium form, the game doesn't offer enough. And in the long form, it's too long to be enjoyable. Well, in the short form, it offers whatever you want it to offer. If you're sitting down for an hour and a quarter long game, then you know how long it's going to last, don't you? You can't really complain that it's not a big, huge epic if you're going to sit down for the short version of the game, the clues in the name. The medium game not offering enough, 
No, I throw that out the window right now. Playing a medium game the first time, it's going to take you three and a half hours. There's plenty of game going on. There's plenty of time for the story to develop. And if the long game's too long, well, don't play it then. Oh, I don't understand this argument at all. It gives you three different ways of playing. Choose the one that suits you best. This game is incredibly nasty. Could it be too nasty and cause arguments? Yes, it is incredibly nasty. There's very rarely such a thing as too nasty in games. And damn right it causes arguments. And that's how I like my games. Come on, get to the table. Let's have a fight. Let's stand up and shout at each other. Let's get it on. I'm quite happy for that to happen. This game has no replayability. Will it last the test of time? Every game of this is different. There are two decks of cards from which you draw. They're going to come out in a different order every time. Each player is going to have different actions each time. Every fight goes differently. The replayability comes from the people you're playing with. The mechanics are not massively deep. There's not a load of events going on and and lots of rules. and That's not where the complexity comes from. It's a game that allows human interactions. And they tend to be my favourite sort of games. The games that just give you a framework in which to explore what's going on. Now, whether it's a framework to explore great strategic variety, that's not here. That's probably going to be in the other game I'm going to be talking about today. In this game, it's a framework in which all the breadth of human interaction can take place. You can make friendships. You can make enemies. You can have vendettas. You can have alliances. You can have bribery and blackmail. You've got people deciding whether people's gladiators live or die. You can steal things from each other. You can give things to each other. That's where this comes from. If this game's got no replayability, you're playing games with boring people. And my last point, the leader in this game can be pounced on, making people unwilling to become the leader, making the game unenjoyable. Certainly manipulation of where you are on scoring is very important. If you go out in the lead, you're putting a target on your back. This is a game about treachery and blackmail. So, duh, you take the lead, people are going to be treacherous, and they're going to blackmail you, and they're going to work against you. The game can't stall. Points are scored constantly. There's a fight every round. A round can only take 10 or 15 minutes. And from those fights, people are going to score points. There is no way you can have a stall with no one scoring points. You can have that someone scores points and they get pegged back. But you know what? If they've been pegged back, it's going to be by the play of a card. And that card's now out of the game. So now it's going to be harder to peg the next person back. There is a constant flow of points into the game. And it always keeps it moving. I haven't had a stall situation. What I have had is in the short game... People waiting and judging and trying to make that final burst for the line to get to that 12 points. That's interesting because you can mistime it. You've mistimed it. I've seen you do it. Let's talk about that later. Where you try and go for that final pounce, you fall just short or you think you've made it and someone pulls you back and they accelerate past you. It's part of the fun. Thank you, Roman, for your thoughts on Spartacus, Blood and Treachery. A little-known card game that goes by the name of Dominion from Rio Grande Games. Designed by Donald X. Vaccarino, this is the game that put deck building firmly on the map, spawning a number of clones. In this game, you deal five cards. The ones with coins on them 
you use to buy from the selection on offer from the table layout. Other cards give you actions to manipulate your turn, with the general aim being to buy victory point cards while getting rid of low value cards that are clogging up your deck, and of course, stitching up your opponents if possible. That's how simple this game is. That's the first thing I would like to praise about this game, is the simplicity and the fact that it still manages to be deeply strategic. This game is easy to get into, it's quick to play, it's way deeper than it looks, it's the simplicity, in my opinion, that makes this game. The replayability of this game is amazing. Every game can be different, you've got such a selection of cards available to you. You don't play with the same cards each turn. It's a random draw or you can select your draw. Each card can change the way the game manifests itself. There's nasty cards that cause your opponents to get curse cards which detract from their score. There's cards that give you multipliers. There's all sorts of things going on in just this simple layout of cards in front of you. You can play this anywhere. You can just pick up your cards and go. This game is, doesn't need a massive board. It doesn't need a load of chips. All it is is a deck of cards. This game is one of those games that you will just play and go, that was great, let's play again. You could crack out five or six games of this without even realising that you've played back to back. This that enjoyable. The expansions for this game lend to it. They do not detract from it and they are not just about being a cash cow. They give it something new almost every time. There's been a couple of misses, but in general they give the game more life, more vitality. They bring new things to the past. This is a game that I genuinely enjoy playing no matter what the time. This can be a filler game. This can be let's play five games of Dominion and spend an afternoon playing Dominion. Whenever you want to bring Dominion out, I think most people will say yes, please. I haven't got a lot more to say about this game. It's just brilliant. Ronan, have you got any points for this? The game's themeless. Who am I playing? This is one of those games you don't need a theme. I'm all about theme normally, but I don't care about theme in this. It's all about the simple, effective gameplay. I don't even know what the theme is about landowners or kings and you're trying to get land. Who cares? When a game's this good, you don't need a theme. Theme, meh. This is brilliant. When I'm playing Dominion, I spend more time shuffling than thinking. There's just no decisions to make. Of course there's decisions to make. Your decisions are based within your hand. Of course you've got to shuffle as a deck game. Once you've shuffled and delivered, you're thinking about how do I play this hand best and in order to get the most out of it. Do I go for victory points early? Do I go for action cards? Is my strategy to build up from this card, giving me more of these cards? Or do I just simply go for the nasty cards to take my opponents out of the game? Every card on that table is a strategy. Every card in there lends to a strategy. It's completely strategic, and you have to have a thought process in this. Otherwise, you will lose every time. When played multiplayer, everyone just plays with their head down, and they don't tell you what they're doing. They're just fiddling around with their cards and grabbing some from the middle. You may as well be playing it in a library or on your own. That's up to your gaming group. 
if that's the way they're happy to play, so be it. But I know my gaming group, we don't play like that. We tell each other what we're doing. That's the way forward in this game. Because if you do play head down, then you may as well be playing on your own. Because you're just doing your own thing. Um, you're only interacting with the group when you're affecting them um, with a cursed card or a card that takes away from their hand. You have to tell each other what you're doing, how you're doing it. And that's up to your, your game group. You've got to enforce that rule. There's no variety of strategy in this game. It's just whoever gets the most gold or platinum into their deck is going to buy the most victory points and win. They can ignore those kingdom cards. Most gold wins. Of course, gold and coins in general are going to affect this game. But the kingdom cards have such a strong effect on how much you get and how you get them and how your opponents get things. A good player will always win by using a combination of coins and kingdom cards. Bad players will allow you to win by just getting coins into your hand. There's always a strategy there to stop people doing that. There's always a card there that will take away from people. There's always a card there that will multiply your hand and give you bonuses. There's kingdom cards with coins on them. There's kingdom cards that will take coins off your opponents. There's, there's so much there in the kingdom. If it's played properly, the strategy is there to stop anybody doing anything. Too often, players can build up action chains with plus action, plus action, plus draw card, and their turns go on forever and there's nothing to do. Of course people can chain cards together. It's the name of the game. How, how long is it going to take for someone to lay out five cards and go, yeah, okay, that allows me to play that, that allows me to play that? It's a few seconds. This game is quick. Even someone chaining seven or eight cards is only going to take a minute or two. That's the beauty of this game. Anyone who says that somebody's turn lasts too long on this is either playing with the wrong person or is inconsiderate of the amount of time that this per the person's taking. The expansion prosperity just ruined the game. Without prosperity, there are some nuance and different things you can do in order to have different strategies. Once Platinum came in the game, it's just all about that. It's just not subtle anymore. Prosperity happens to be my favourite Dominion expansion. It's all about building your economy up. It's all about getting that all-important goal, but there's still cards in there that you need to focus on to get that money. Getting a Platinum card is not easy. And yeah, once you start building up the Platinum cards, the game becomes even quicker than a normal game. It goes the opposite way of an expansion like Intrigue. Intrigue's nasty and dirty and fiddly, where you're attacking and it's to and fro. If you like that type of game, go with Intrigue. If you like building an economy, go with Prosperity. If you want to go out on left field, then Seaside's the name of the game. The only one I didn't really enjoy was Alchemy. I didn't think that lent anything to the Dominion, the family. The last point I wanted to answer about Dominion is, there's too many expansions, there's too many cards, they've taken what might have been a quick game that was good to play and just made it too complicated. There's only a set amount of Kingdom cards on the table, regardless. So you can only have that amount of cards on the table, no matter how many expansions you pile into one. It doesn't affect the length of the game. It affects the way that the game goes, yeah, but that's brilliant, because you're never going to get the same game twice. They've made the game almost impossible unless you play with the same set of cards that you choose every time. And even then, you're probably never going to have the same game twice.
the expansions lend to this. They make it fresh. They give it a new burst of life every time they come out. Okay, Sean. Thanks for making your points about Dominion, and we'll get back to it later when we make our verdicts on what game can go into the vault. living in the country, owning a plot of land, growing their own food, keeping their own animals, and being self-sustaining. It's the dream we're all looking for. And the next game, who's up for candidacy for the vault, allows you to live that dream. With added starvation. It's Agricola, the classic worker placement game from Uwe Rosenberg. This game has been in the top four on the Board Game Geek rankings for years, and as far as I'm concerned, it can stay there. I love Agricola. It's a worker placement game, but it's not one of those worker placement games where you put down your worker, you get back a colour of cubes, and you hand those in for something. Look, I like those games as much as the next person, don't get me wrong. Agricola is something a bit more special. The actions you take all tell a story. There's a narrative here. And everything you're doing is not short-term. You're not handing it in to get something back and that's it. You've scored some points with it. End off. You're slowly building something over seasons and years. Your family's getting bigger. Your house is getting bigger. Your farm's expanding. You're getting in different livestock. You might be able to start planting some grain or some vegetables. There's a story going on here. And every single one of your actions has later repercussions. And that's one of the reasons why I love this game. Everything I do matters. It doesn't just matter to me, it might just matter to the other people around the table as well. Because like most worker placement games, there's limited spaces. And when someone goes in that space ahead of you in Agricola, sometimes you can really feel it. People are talking about there's this Euro trash blend going on at the moment. And people are trying to design more games that have the very strong mechanisms of a Euro game, but also the thematic strength of games that traditionally came from America. Well, do you know what? Agricola got there first. It does both. It plays like a dream. Smooth, mechanically sound. Everything makes sense. Nothing too much random in there. You can plan and strategize. However, it's also that theme, living in the country, building your farm. Loving it. There are huge strategic options here. There's all kinds of different ways you can go. In every game, you're going to get a certain number of cards, depending upon how you play it. And they're going to give you occupations which your family can take up, or they're going to give you minor improvements which you can add to your farm. And everyone's set is different. There are three separate decks of dozens of cards just in the base game. There are cards in that game I have never seen. I'm not sure I ever will see them. And then there's, who knows, a dozen extra decks available, but you don't have to touch them, not for years, not for dozens of play, not way down the line until you're fully hooked on that Agricola hook. The game feels like an achievement. You are fighting against the game, and you are competing against your opponents, but it's not in a negative way. It's not in the way whereby you take something off someone, or they spend half an hour building something and you knock it down. That's not how this game works. In this game, everything that everyone does is a slow progress. You might not play well enough to progress quickly, and you might feel like you're struggling to feed your family, but actually you are slowly, slowly, slowly progressing. And at the end of the game, no matter to what level you've played, 
You're going to have something you can look at and go, I made that. That's something that I've created during this game of Agricola. And it's a very satisfying feeling. I play a lot of negative games. I just talked about Spartacus, which is a bit of a negative game. This game is the opposite end of that spectrum. It's also good for all levels of experience. If you're pretty new to games, don't worry about those cards I talked about, the occupations and the minor improvements. There's a family variant which takes those out and leaves the game the same so you can play it two, three, four times, whatever you're comfortable with. And then once you've got your head around it, you can start bringing them in. They add more complexity to the game. They also make you run your farm a bit more efficiently though as well. So when you bring those cards in, not only do you feel, oh, right, I've got better at this game. That's achievement in itself. But then your farm's going to get better and you're going to start scoring more points. And that makes you feel great. Even though your family can starve, I still insist this is a feel-good game. The game develops as your expertise as a player develops. As you become better at the game, you'll see that your farm ends up being better after each play, progressively. Maybe you manage to put a fourth room on your house this time. Maybe you manage to end up with five family members. Maybe you finally manage to plant some grain and get a baking strategy going. Whatever it is, if you're an expert and you start off playing this game great, well done. You can fight against your own score. But if you're not great at games, and this is a game I love, and I'm pretty awful at, you've got your own goals. And you don't feel like you're fighting for fourth or fifth or what have you. You feel like you're fighting to better what you've done before. It's not often I find a game which I enjoy trying to beat my own score in. Agricola does it. Agricola is a game for all ages, all abilities, a game which is a joy to play. This game must go into the vault. Sean, hit me. Set up and clean up. A pain in the backside. Far too many components. Okay, there are a lot of components in this game. And if you manage to bling it out with those animeeples, there are even more. But hell, that's got to be worth it. Putting out those little sheep and little cows and you can like make noises and do little stories with them. I think I'm getting off track here. There is a lot of setup. I can't argue that. It gives you a chance to chat about the game. Chat about strategy. Chat about what you're going to do. Let's turn the negative into a positive. But also the components are beautiful. On the back of three of the main boards, there's that guide to the game that tells you all the way through. The way everything is laid out explains what's going to happen. You have the different areas that are going to become available as the game develops. I'll admit, there's a quite a bit of setup here, but it's set up that, that's worth it. Because it's a setup that builds the framework for you to have that huge strategic variety in. You're not laying out 20 decks of cards that are going to give you random things. You're laying it out in a framework that's going to tell a narrative. Is this game really fun? As it mirrors life, is it more of a chore? This is part of that set of games by Uwe Rosenberg. People put together Agricola and Leave and At the Gates of Yang. And I think maybe we can throw in Aura Labora into there as well. His deeper Euro games. Now for me, I've only played, obviously, Agricola and I've played Leave and I've played Aura Labora. The other two were the other side of this ridge. I felt the R really was like being at work. I'd finish a day at work, I'd come home, and I feel like I was doing overtime and wasn't getting paid for it. There's so much organising and so many decisions that change from action to action and so many buildings to look at. Or at Labora, I feel like there's a real good game there somewhere, but it's just spread out all over the table, and I don't know what everyone's buildings does, and I don't want to stand up and see what they all do. In Agricola, I'm running my own little farm. It's all in front of me. It's all explained. Because it's so clear how to play, I feel like 
that removes some of the stress of worrying about the mechanisms and lets you just worry about playing well. Also, if you're not playing well, there's not a massive break on you. It doesn't shut you down. You haven't got a hole to dig in. You would have to take some begging cards, and that's going to hammer you in scoring at the end, but it's not going to impede you so much as you play. So it might be a little bit depressing, as in I'm not going to get a great score here, but I'm still going to be able to carry on playing. There are overpowered cards in the game that make a player nearly unstoppable. At the beginning of the game, you get dealt your lot, and that's it for the rest of the game. That's why you never play with the random deal. You play with the card draft. Either you do it Seven Wonders style, as it's been called. Everyone gets a hand of cards, they choose one and pass them round. Or everyone gets dealt out, say, 12 cards and they choose seven. Never play with that random draw rule. That is rubbish. That can screw you. Okay, for brand new players, they might not be aware that this is the generally accepted way of playing. But anyone who's around gamers, been on BGG, I think you're going to learn pretty quickly. Don't play with that random draw. It was a negative. It's really, really simple to deal with. Just play with some sort of draft. There's loads of suggestions on BGG. For me, I like playing Seven Wonders, so let's just use a Seven Wonders variant. Let's everyone get ten cards, take one and pass them around. One or two poor choices lead to you being out of the game and your opponent on a procession to victory. My main argument against that is, this is one of those games in which the journey is more important than the destination. If I'm playing with someone who's a killer Agricola player, whether I play badly or well, and let's face it, it's going to be badly, and they're wandering off and they're going to score 50, 60 points, I don't know what the maximum score is, I've never got anywhere near it, and I'm only going to score 28 or 22 or something like that, it doesn't matter, because I'm still building my own little farm. I don't care what their farm looks like. It's one of those games I don't get very competitive about. I also disagree that one or two bad moves can do that. You know, if you're playing against real killer players and they're efficient in every single move and they know their strategy and everything's planned out ten years ahead, yeah, great, well done. Do you know what? I'm happy for them. I'm happy this game allows you to develop to that level of play, but it doesn't affect my play. They can't suck up any more resources. They can get a few more workers, but their workers, their extra ones, are always going to go after my core workers anyway. So it's not like they're going to get five goes before I get my two goes. It goes round the table and everyone gets one go at a time. So my two are going to get placed before their extra three can go on the board anyway. So it has a tiny negative impact on resources, but I really don't think that's so important. If you only play games to win, it's going to be tough to start playing Agricola because there are some great players out there and it is a game you have to learn. If you play games to enjoy yourself, if you're able to sit there and think, I'm enjoying the process of this game, I'm enjoying how clever it is, this is a great game. You're building your own little farm, and the world is going on around you. This leads to little or no interaction with your fellow players. You are building your own little farm. The world is going on around you, and I'm happy on my farm. And I'll thank you to be happy for me. As for the interaction, everyone's workers go on that middle board. That's where the interaction comes from, for sure. And trust me, there's plenty of it. You wait until you start getting called names for stealing wood from someone because they wanted to build their fences. Whoa, it can cause some furious looks. If you ignore everyone around you, you probably won't play optimally in terms of the group. There is a certain thing there whereby if someone's going a certain way and you can realise it, sometimes you actually have to make the decision of that action's best for me, but taking that action will slow them down. 
and there's a chance that that action I wanted to do will be available to me next time round. There's plenty of interaction in the game. It's all on that middle board. On your own board, no one can interfere with you, and that's actually a positive in the game. Like I said, they can't knock down what you spent hours building. I like that aspect. Definite game for analysis paralysis, leading to lots of downtime for other players. It is a game that can cause analysis paralysis, I'll give you that. Because you can formulate what your best strategy is, and if someone ducks in ahead of you, suddenly it's blown your plans out of the water. I think this point completely counteracts your last point about lack of interaction. Because if there was no interaction, you'd be able to sit there and plan your go for all of those seasons, you know, 15 moves ahead, bish bash bosh, there you go, I've just won the game. And that interaction can cause you to pause. However, it's something we've addressed before. When you're making a strategy in this game, make two, make three. Be ready for if someone jumps in and takes that one place you really wanted, what's your second choice? I'm not saying it never happens for the pausing. What I am saying is, it's interesting enough that it gives everyone else time to stop and think and start second-guessing themselves. Yes, there is a bit of downtime here. I don't like downtime in games where I can't make any decisions. I don't mind downtimes in this sort of a deep game in which it leaves me a chance to read the board, see what other players are doing, and start trying to work out whether the decisions I made 10 minutes ago are still most applicable in this situation, when there have been slight changes. Not massive, random, crazy swings, just slight changes. I actually quite like that this game gives you a chance to stop and think. It's not roll a load of dice, it's not bosh it out in 20 minutes, it's plan the development of my farm over years. The end of game scoring in Agricola is counterintuitive. There's a set of magic numbers for each resource that people have got to remember. This is the end game scoring. There's a certain list of things. If you've got none, it's minus one points. If you've got some, it's some points. When you start playing, how much more do you need to know? Nothing. Try and get some of everything. You're not going to be able to. It's just not possible when you haven't developed your expertise in the game. So live with it. Roll with it. Enjoy the journey. Let those mistakes you've made become learning lessons for you. Except you're not going to be great. Learn to live with some humility. And my last point, Ronan, this game is too fiddly and too much work for little enjoyment. This game is thought-provoking, deep, it offers massive variety, it offers a way to really exercise your brain and get you thinking in ways that a lot of other games can't get you thinking in, and it's a tremendous amount of fun. It's not for you if you like lighter games, okay? And that's fine, I like lighter games sometimes, and some players never want to play something longer than an hour. If you want to dig into something for a couple of hours and really massage those grey cells, this is the game for that. Thank you very much, Ronan. I look forward to pouring over that in our final discussion. you've heard us talk at some length about the four candidates we've put forward to be enshrined in the game pit vault. What's going to happen now is, rather than just play devil's advocate and pull up all the negative points, we're each going to have a chance to talk about the four games that have come up and talk about our true feelings about these games, how we feel having played them. Then what we're going to try and do is knock one candidate each from our two nominations out to leave us with two and then we're going to have to chew the cut over those two and come up with the final game, which is going to be the first game ensconced in the Game Pit Vault and get our big, 
huge, massive gold seal of approval. Sean, are you ready to begin? I am ready, Ryan. Okay, so, first game to chat about now is Arkham Horror. Now, I know that this is a particular personal favourite, and I think that this nomination might have come from the heart for you. It absolutely did. Um, I wasn't lying when I said that this was the game that brought me into board games, and it's always going to have a special place in my heart, and I do think it is a fantastic game. I know you have issues, so uh, do you want to talk us through a couple of your issues with it? Well, I haven't got that much gaming experience with Arkham Horror. I've played it a couple of times, and I just really felt lost. I didn't really know what was going on. I couldn't really tell from the board what was going on. There were so many decks of cards. I feel like there's a hump here. It's not a game I could immediately enjoy. I feel like with a bit more play, getting over the mechanisms to come and enjoy the experience for me, I feel like there's a little bit too much game at the moment between me and what fans of the game love about the game. I'll definitely admit to that. I think there is, and I think you put it exactly right, there is a hump to overcome to get to the magic of Arkham Horror. And I think that hump probably is the rule book. I don't think the rule book's fantastic well written. We did touch on it earlier and I think it could put off people. I think it's something to do with the rules as well. I really do. It is an FFG thing, okay? They want to put all these cards in and they want to put all this massive overproduction and they want to put in all this variety so that Arkham Horror really could be a game you play every weekend for 10 years and never play the same game twice. And I really appreciate that. I'm an FFG fan. There's plenty of FFG games that I love. This could be a game that I might love. I just don't think that at the moment I've got that love for it. I don't think it's good enough to get into the vault because of that hump, because of that barrier, because it's not good for every player. I want to make one last stand. This game is good enough for anybody's top 10, top 5, whatever way you want to put it. I think it is a beautifully crafted game with a lot of love. I think you do have to get past that initial rules and components hump, but I think there is a beautiful, vivid, amazing, stressful, tense game waiting for you at just over the horizon. Okay. What do you want to talk about when it comes to Spartacus, Sean? I enjoy Spartacus. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here just because it's up against my two submissions for this. I think it's a great game. I do think there is merit in what I said earlier about the gladiator fights in the arena. I do think they can be a little bit pedestrian, a little bit predictable. And as you said yourself, there is the chance that somebody will just run around and that's ire-inducing. But you know that we've house-ruled the game. Anyone who runs away from combat three turns in a row you can punch them in the face. So you've, yeah. you've said a negative about Spartacus. Go on. I know you like this game. In fact, I think you might love this game. Give me some of the positives you think about it. I'm not sure that I love it yet. I certainly don't love it as much as you do, but I do like this game a lot. I think the freedom you have to set up deals, to betray, backstab, and to make good on your deals is unique almost. I don't think a lot of games give you the scope like Spartacus does to explore the avenues of betrayal that is obvious or is pushed upon you almost in this game. How many games need in the rulebook a don't be a beep rule actually written down and say you're playing a game, it's just a game, these people are your friends? That was very funny when we, I think we both read it around the same time and we <laughs> discussed it and we both thought how nasty can this game get? And we f we soon found out. 
soon as you returned from Essen, we sat down with a couple of friends and we played this game. We played the short version, but even then, it was it was so much fun. And it was nitpicky, it was tense, and it was just a great game right until the end, and right until I won, which made me like it. Mm, obviously, it must have flaws if you won it. Okay, <laughs> and just a quick one. How much of a surprise is it that a game from a TV licence from a company which I know they've put out miniature games but have never put out a board game before the designers haven't got any other designs going on it's got these cruddy photos all over it which just look awful how good is it that it's actually an amazing game? You're talking to the wrong person I love Spartacus I've watched each and every series of Spartacus I think it's a wonderful programme and it brought me back and there's, there's some cards in there that we can't actually mention on air because they are rude um, just moons yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. You've said it now. We'll, we'll be off air in a second. <laughs> They're cards in there, and they just make you laugh. And even more so if you're a fan of the TV series, because you can just imagine the characters saying them. I know a lot of people have, have problems with the photographs, but as you said, quite rightly so. Who cares? It's a great game. Okay, and I'm just going to quickly squee over two things. Firstly, there's an expansion coming out, which means more than two people are going to be able to fight at once. Squee! And the same designers are doing a Firefly game. OMG. OMG, indeed. Right. It's Fox cancel Firefly. Scandal. <laughs> That's it, we've got our podcast wings. We've moaned about Fox and Firefly. <laughs> okay, this was a real half sell. You know I'm not a fan of Dominion, Sean. I think you lie, sir. I think, I you think I do lie. <laughs> oh, it was so hard being mean about Dominion. It's like slapping your own baby. This is my most played game. I've played it, ah, I think it's 60-something times, which is amazing for me because I do breeze through games quite quickly. Do you want to say something while I'm busy crying and wiping away my tears for abusing my little baby Dominion? I think I probably was a little bit weak in my arguments for this simply because it's such a great game. I just thought it's a wonderful, simple, brilliant game. I probably didn't give it the attention and love that I give towards Arkham Horror, probably because I thought Arkham Horror needed that little bit more help to try and get it into the vault. But this game, yeah, it stands up there on its own. I don't think there's many detractors. It's a lovely game. It's a wonderful game. I think there's more detractors than you think there are. There's definitely a backlash against this. And as I think I said before, I go to the London On Board Game Club. Apart from a certain group of people, it's pretty hard to get played down there. There's lots of people that don't like Dominion. They're wrong. There's nothing I can do about that, though. It's a system. It's a system in one box. Never mind all the other expansions you can get. In that one box, 25 different cards, only 10 come out at a time. Someone more clever than me can do the math and tell me how many different games you can get out of that. And they are different. You can have setups that are going to take you an hour and a half. You can have setups that are going to take you 25 minutes. And each game plays differently. It's wonderful. I know that one of the first things when you get those cards out is look at those 10 cards and decide where you're going to go. And now we're at the stage with our group of mates that plays Dominion together that everyone comes up with a different strategy. And everyone looks at cards and goes, oh, I hadn't thought about how that works with that one now and how this one works with this one. It's such good fun playing with these guys who we play with who know it so well, and girls, sorry, who know it so well and enjoy it and enjoy that interaction together and enjoy discovering each setup and discovering how best to use it. You know, we've got a friend that loves Seaside, we've got a friend that loves Intrigue, no one loves Alchemy, they're all right about that. 
you love prosperity. I don't really like prosperity very much. I do think it takes away some of the nuances when you have platinum out of the game, but I can see the appeal to it to play a quicker bang, bang, bang game. Well, I think we've got a name for the people who detract from Dominion, and I think they're the walking wrong. Um, <laughs> I also know that it did hurt you. I will be consoling you later, upsetting yourself by detracting from your poor Dominion. But, yeah, I think we, we are agreed that this is a fantastic game. Now, I'd like to move on to a game that I think we're probably not going to agree so much on, and that's Agricola. So uh, this is where you join the shambling ranks of the walking wrong. But what was it that put you off about the game when we played it? Again, it was the setup time. The setup time, I sat there and I watched you pop piece after piece after piece. And I just I'll, I'll there... note for everyone, by the way, you didn't help, you just watched me. I don't know what was going on. There's so much on, to put out. Where would it go? I don't know what was happening. I thought you were just having fun on your own. I thought, shall I leave? Is, is this the game? At one point, I think I had a birthday. The Gricka Lego. <laughs> the fun or a chore comment, that came from me. I found that at times it was just becoming a chore. It was like having to go out and, mu- and muck out the stables. I didn't really want to go and do that, but, yeah, you got to do it, otherwise your farm's going to suffer. I understand that. Listen, I think I taught it to you when I didn't know the game that well. I wasn't that fluent at teaching it. And what happened to Arkham for me happened with you to Agricola. The mechanisms got between you and playing the game. You were fighting the game rather than trying to build up your own board. I can see how that would happen. I can also see the argument that Agricola is more like work than playing. I do understand that to a degree. I just don't agree with it. That's all. I think this could be a personal thing in that... I hear plenty of people say they are, there's less work than Agricola, but I think completely the opposite. I find that too much of a chore. It's a good game, I really admire it, but it hasn't got the fun factor for me that Agricola has. I like constructive games. We're going to have a chat about co-ops sometime soon, I think, about negative and constructive co-ops. I'm the same with all sorts of games. If it's constructive, I'm more likely to like it. I wasn't completely invested in, in the point I made about the interaction. That's because... Whenever we play, and our group in general tends to have a lot of interaction. But I do feel that interaction or screw each other over, which is interacting to a degree. I do think there's a lot of downtime, even in the two-player game. I felt that towards the end of the game, there was a lot of times when I knew what exactly what I was doing, and I was waiting for you, and vice versa. I felt your stress as you wanted to get on with the game and I was just sitting there picking up a cube, putting it down, picking up a cube, putting it down. I think I can see your point and I think over this summarising that we're doing at the moment, I think it's shown that for both of us, there's a game amongst these four that we haven't fully engaged with. I will agree to play more Arkham Horror with you if you agree it's not allowed to come into the vault this time. I... Will agree. It breaks my heart. I do see your your points on Arkham Horror, and my counter to you is if Arkham Horror doesn't come in for the same reasons, I think that Agricola shouldn't come in. I think I could see that one coming in the stars. Okay, so we've got rid of Arkham Horror and we've got rid of Agricola. So that leaves us with Dominion, and incredibly, the pretty much brand new Spartacus has made all the way here. Now, for me, although I love Spartacus, I think it's a great game, I think you've already said it, the pretty new Spartacus. We don't know how well Spartacus is going to play in two years' time. We know how Dominion plays. It still plays fantastically. 
For me, Spartacus will still have its opportunity to make the vault. It will come again. And in, if we're still playing it and enjoying it as much as we do now, in two years' time, a year's time, I think it'll almost sail into the into the vault. What do you think? I think that in comparison, we're putting up a callow youth against a season-old oak here, aren't we? I really enjoy Spartacus. I love it to bits. I have a little bit got over the short game now. I don't mind playing it now and then to show new players how to play it, but it is a little bit shallow because I have played medium-length games and there's so much more going on there. And that might be why maybe I'm showing a bit more love for the game than you are. I don't think you've played a medium-length game one yet, have you? And um, as for the long game, I've got one coming up in three weeks at the fantastic... LobsterCon 5, when London and Board go down to Eastbourne and take over. So I'm massively looking forward to that. I am going to try and get some more longer games of this played with you. I'm going to try and get them played anyway, because I love the game. And I'm really going to make a push for this in in a while, when I think it's come to fruition. I think it's hard at the moment to put a game we've played, well, less than 10 times against a game we've played more than 60 times. I agree. I think if we were to put... Something like Spartacus in instead of a game of Dominion standing. I think it would be a little bit harsh and I think the best game at the moment by a nose is Dominion out of the four. No, we're just a pair of popular shillers, aren't we? Putting Dominion into the vault as the first one. It's not very edgy, it's not very cool, is it? <laughs> so it looks like from our first ever entry into the vault is going to be the deck building fantastic game system from Donald X Vaccarino Dominion. Sean, final thoughts? Uh, just that uh, the walking wrong, chew on this. That was a beautiful sentiment. Rie Grande, you may take the imaginary, the game pit, vault, seal of approval and smash it all over those Dominion boxes. So there you have it. We have our first game in the Game Pit Vault. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We'd also like to thank everyone for your support over the first couple of weeks this podcast has been out. It's been fantastic. We're overwhelmed by the response we've had. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or join the guild on Board Game Geek. Thank you and catch you next time for The Game Pit. Theme music by E. Arrow. Thank you.